So as Jake makes his way upstairs to uh, operate the slides, the first slide that's going to come up is uh, just a picture. It has the word serve on it. And people that I've had conversations with recently, both here and at work, one of the things that, uh, that has become kind of important to me and the way I, I, I try to approach things personally is uh, based on the, the idea of understanding why. And Jake, that's ringing. Is that what it is? Yeah, we were, we were in pretty good shape until we hit the monitors, I think. But anyway, let me start with the concept of, of, of why and then we'll get a little bit into what and how. Uh, but it, if you don't really understand why, the what and the how don't really matter a whole lot. Uh, they may be good things, they may not, but they're without purpose. So serve is, is really getting into our what, uh, what we're asking people to do. Mike spoke last week about the, the call to service based on, based on the way God has made us. Uh, the, our, our nature wants to respond to him. We, we've been made in his image. And, and so the, that whole idea of service is, is kind of there. But I want to go ahead to, uh, if you bring the next slide up, Jake. What this calls to mind, for me, is the idea of transformation. And, and what I think Jesus calls us to, what I think scriptures call us to, is to be transformed into Jesus' image to the extent that we can, to reflect God, to reflect the holiness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, those things that, that, that are within God's nature that Jesus exemplified and modeled for us as he walked on the earth. And, and so our why and what we do has to do with becoming transformed into that image, okay? Uh, when, you, when you think back of, and I'm not going to try to create a new mission statement or anything here for us, but when I think back of the years I've spent at Skillman, we've had a sign out in front when I first came here called People Who Care. Uh, over the years, we had uh, Crossing the River. We had Connect, Grow, Serve, and Go. We had Making Disciples. And, and currently, I'm not even sure what we have on our website. I, I was going to bring it up a little while ago, and my internet access wasn't working. But those things are about us trying to become more like Jesus in the way we live here in the community. Uh, each one of those calls us to become transformed. And so, as, as we talk today, I want to kind of put that in context a little bit. So, uh, next slide, Jake. Um, one of the things that, that I hear periodically is that we need to spend more time learning scripture, studying scripture, being more 
more Bible-based. We used to be known as a people of the book. And I think that's important. Let's put that in a little bit of context. And if you will, as you look at this little Venn diagram up there, on one side you have what I've, I've labeled spiritual information. Spiritual information is, is Bible knowledge, whether it's actually learning the Bible, studying the Bible, studying scriptures, being able to quote verses, knowing the story of Abraham, knowing the story of Noah and the ark, knowing those things that, that we teach our children that have been a part of our culture. That's what I would call spiritual information. The danger in spiritual information is if, if that's all we do is, is knowledge, we, we, we don't change our lives based on that. And, and so when it's taken to extreme, we've, we've seen historically very strong legalistic approaches to things. We've seen things where the Pharisees had a very spiritually informed way of approaching things. Now, if you go to the other side of the circle where it says spiritual formation, that's really where the Holy Spirit comes into play. And one of the things that, that we've done more in, in past years than we had done previously, in my experience, is, is, is spiritual discipline, spiritual practices, whether we're talking about meditation and contemplation, fasting, prayer, but allowing the Holy Spirit to work within that context. Either one of those in isolation is going to leave us without being transformed. It's going to give us a kind of a, a skewed approach to life and a very narrow focus. Uh, it may be driven by rules that we've developed from our information. It might be developed by, I've, I've had this great experience and I'm very happy and um, we, we, I, I exaggerate those things. But when we put those two together and we balance them together, then we get to that middle piece where we actually become transformed. So we don't, we don't practice one to the neglect of the other. We don't, we don't learn scripture without learning how to apply it and meditate on it and, and think about it and, and focus on, on, on prayer and receiving what the Spirit has to say to us. And we don't just go out and have nice spiritual experiences without the context of Scripture and the knowledge of God and what He's said to us. When we have those things together, then we begin becoming a transformed people. So that for me, is kind of the why we do what we do. As we talk about deacons here in, in, in this, this current context, but as we talk about our place as a church here in this community, as a congregation, it's to become a transformed people that reflect the love of God, that reflect a knowledge of God. We, we teach people. But it's, it's, it's something that makes our lives different as a result of that. And so that's, that's the, the, the 
kind of the why context to begin with. Uh, go to the next one, Jake. Not too long ago, we uh, ordained three new elders, and uh, I guess it was about eight years ago that we had another group. And each, each time that we've done that, as a part of that process, uh, I, I want to actually kind of quote from it. We said, a search of the Gospels to see how many times the word lead is used reveals that it appears 21 times in the New Testament, and almost all those occurrences are not positive occurrences. They're things like Judas leading the crowds and betraying Jesus as he came to the garden. Uh, Jesus talking about the blind, leading the blind. We talk about Jesus and his interactions with his disciples he didn't ever tell them to go out and lead. But what we do see multiple times is Jesus saying, follow me. His first encounter with Peter and Andrew, come follow me. James and John, come follow me. A little bit later, he talks to Philip, come follow me. He sees Matthew out there collecting taxes. He says, come follow me. His, his, his interactions initially with his apostles were Come and follow me, which is what they did for three years. They followed him as he went around. Um, you can bring the next one up, Jake. Those, those uh, passages I just uh, referenced, the first three on there, were Jesus' encounters with his apostles. In John chapter 8, Jesus spoke again to the people and he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Mark, this is, uh, we typically call this the parable of the rich young ruler. But Jesus' response to him, he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Let me back up. Now, I just made an assumption. And for some of you, it's a very valid assumption. And for some of you, it may not be valid at all. But the, the assumption I made was, you know the story I'm referring to. You know the context of this story, and I can just go from there and go on. One of the things that we have to be careful about as a people who are informed is that we don't assume that everyone has that same information as we live our lives. So let me back up and put that in a little broader context. Jesus is, is, is teaching, and he's approached by a, a young man this, described as a young man who is very successful and, and very apparently wanting to follow Jesus. And he comes and says, what must I do? And I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing the story here for you. And Jesus tells him, well, you, you've done all, you, these are the things you should do. And he says, I've done all that. I'm in good shape. He says, one more thing you've got to do then is sell everything you have and come and follow me. And when he told him that, he, he left. He wasn't willing to give up, lay down his life, and follow. So this is, this is the context for this statement. Jesus looked at him, loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus doesn't ask us to go out and perform great things. He doesn't ask us to go out and create followers of our own. He asks us to follow him. And in following him, we do so in a way that we can kind of 
go on this journey together. And, and I'm going to come back to that a little bit later as we're talking about deacons and, and the context that we're going forward in here. Uh, Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then uh, go ahead to the next one, Jake. Because Jesus and this, this story kind of demonstrates what following him looks like. And again, for those who are informed, you'll recognize immediately this is the setting of what we call the, the Last Supper, and Jesus is with his disciples, and he gathers with them as they're gathered around the table, and, and he takes off his robes and garments, gets down on his knees, takes some water, and starts washing their feet. And he goes through this process. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He asked, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So we see in this, this context where Jesus has called people to come follow, he's showing what it means to follow. He's showing them how to follow. And so as we have this conversation, go ahead, Jake, next slide. As we have this conversation about deacons and servants and service, I'm going to kind of put it in that context because what Jesus has, has really told his apostles and his followers is to follow me, is to serve. Now, Mike is going to be speaking later today in here, and uh, he, he is, uh, has a reputation, rightfully so, uh, as a scholar, because he spent his time in scholarship. So he's going to get into this, I'm, I'm assuming, a little more deeply than I am. And I'm not a scholar, done some study. But I do want to talk a little bit about this word, diakonos. It's the word that's translated as deacon, but it's also translated, as you can see up here, it, it just comes from a, a Greek word that was used commonly in the language at the time to describe someone who was a waiter or a servant, sometimes a minister, but the context of minister there means someone who is ministering to, not necessarily the context that we've taken minister to mean as someone who preaches or has, has a, an official position. Um, so this word appears in the New Testament roughly 29 times in its noun form and a few more times in its verb form. And it's translated, depending on the translation you, you are looking at, it's translated as deacon in some cases. It's translated much more often as servant and occasionally as minister. If you look in the King James Version, it's translated as deacon four or five times and as minister about 20 sometimes. And, and the idea of servant doesn't even appear in King James. But as you look at other translations, servant is how it's used most often. And uh, 
Go ahead, uh, Jake, to the next, actually the next couple of slides. Because Jesus uses this same word as he's talking to his disciples. Um, in the context of this, uh, this, this passage right here, James and John have asked, or in, in one, one, one occasion of the story, their mother actually asks, but uh, in essence, they've asked to be kind of special seats, one on your right hand, one on your left. And, and so he has this interaction with them. And uh, that essentially, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Oh, you got a little infighting here among the servants. And Jesus called them all together. He said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as ransom. When he says servant here, he's using that word diakonos, okay, the one we, we tend to translate primarily have the conversation about his deacon. And when he's talking about to serve and to be served, he uses the verb form of the same word. So this is one of the, the occasions where that, that word is used in scripture. Uh, in Matthew chapter 20, he says, uh, I got ahead of myself here. Uh, basically, uh, it's another account of the same thing. Matthew chapter 23, he says, You're not to be called a rabbi, for you have one teacher. You're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, the, the word servant in this context is that same word, diakonos, that we use as deacon. Point is that I, I want you to understand that it, there's a little bit of ambiguity in terms of how that word is translated as it appears in, in scripture. There's very little ambiguity in terms of its meaning. Its meaning is you are to serve. As we talk about becoming transformed and a people who are exemplifying God as, as our why, our how is that we serve. We do it through service. And we're all called to serve. One of the, one of the points that I, I want you to understand is as we talk about having the title of deacon, it, it, it has, has some, some meaning of, of kind of being set aside specifically for a special service. But as Jesus uses the word, he applies it to all of us. It's not a responsibility of certain people. It's not a responsibility of those who are paid with the title of minister, which is another phrase. There are a couple of different words that translate as minister in the New Testament, but one of them is this word, diakonos. So what he's saying is our, our way of living, our, our lifestyle, our way of interacting with each other with the community in which we find ourselves within the world is to serve. 
the last passage there on John. This is an important concept, I think, as well. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Again, using this term diakonos in terms of service, that this concept of, of a seed has to die before it can produce life. That's, that's not a strange concept in terms of what Jesus demonstrated for us by dying and living again, but by what he calls us to do when he says to take up your cross daily and follow me. What he's saying is there's, there's a sacrifice on your part. You are giving up. Again, getting back to what Mike was talking about last week a little bit. You're laying down your life on this altar for the purpose of living. It's not that you're dying and, and you're done. But without dying, you can't truly live. And so he calls us, all of us, to lay down ourselves, to follow him into lives of service. Uh, Next one, Jake, if you will. Gonna run short on time here, and that's kind of how I usually end up running out of time before I run out of things to say. Um, this word deacon also appears to describe individuals throughout the New Testament, and here are just a few of the passages where that happens. And in some cases, it's translated as minister. In some cases, it's translated as servant. In some cases, it's translated as deacon. Uh, but it's, it's the same word, and it's essentially, in most of these, the same context. The first one might be a little different, because this is, Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians, who are having some dispute about whether they're followers of Paul or Apollos, or whose team they're on. And he describes himself and Apollos as diakonos among you. And when he says we came and ministered among you or we came and served, he uses this word, diakonos. And again, the implication is we're not here greater than anyone else. We're not here above anyone else. We, we came here to serve you, and that's what we're calling for you to do as he gets further into it. In Philippians chapter 1, it's, it's simply a greeting, but he talks about the deacons, the elders and the deacons among you. And he just uses that word, diakonos, the servants among you that are there. It appears, and again, I'll, I'll defer to Mike's knowledge of, of church history, but it appears that fairly early on in the, in the life of the church, this idea of a deacon as a kind of a called special office appears, and, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that here in a second. Uh, it's not a result of Paul instructing Timothy on how deacons should be appointed or how they, what, they're, what kind of people they should be, okay? When, he, when Paul talks to Timothy in that context, he's already assuming we have these things. 
These are the kind of people they need to be. And, and you see evidence of it here and there, and Philippians is one of those. Uh, Romans 16.1 is one that many of you are familiar with because this is where he refers to Phoebe as a deacon who brings a message. Ephesians 6.21, Tychicus is referred to in the same context as a messenger, deacon. Colossians, Epaphras is named. In all of these, you have a similar context, you have a similar use of the word, and depending on the, the, the translation you look at, it may be called deacon, it may be called servant, it may be called minister, it varies, but it's essentially the same, same, same Greek word, same meaning, same context in each of these. And for the most part, it's, it's a reference to just something that is, that's kind of commonly understood as what it is. It's, it's not an instruction, you do this, or you should do this, or anything. It's, it's just a reference that we, we see, but that's where that word appears. You come to the next slide, Jake, if you don't mind. I want to spend a little time with each of these passages this morning. Um, Romans chapter 12, put that in context. Paul has written a letter to the people at Rome because he's never been there. The church is there. He's hoping to come visit them. He hasn't been there. So he sort of sends this introductory letter. And the first several chapters of Rome is sort of Paul's theological statement saying this is, this is what I believe and this is how God has worked and, and so forth. He gets to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, because of all these things, this is how you should live. Be transformed, hear that word again, by the renewing of your minds. The renewing of your minds comes through spiritual information spiritual formation. Our minds are transformed so that we can know what God's will is and, and live that out. But as he goes through the passage a little bit later, he's talking about each of us have different gifts, and we should serve based on what our gifts are. And one of the, the people he, he talks about is, if your gift is diakonosing, then diakonos. He says, if your gift is, is to serve, serve faithfully. So, when Paul's talking about that, he, he's, he's essentially, I think, telling us that as we identify the gifts, the skills that we have, we have to be faithful in how we use them in this transformed life as we are trying to model Jesus. And he doesn't talk about whether it's a male or a female or a child or adult. He doesn't get into any kind of distinctions there. He's talking to the people of God. He says, if this is your gift, you use it and use it faithfully. Move into 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. And I'll go ahead and open that up, I guess. I don't think I can quote the whole thing. You, you can see I'm waiting. Somewhat impatiently.
Okay. He says, beginning in verse 8, in the same way, because he's just taught, he, put this in context, Paul is writing to Timothy, giving Timothy instruction, advice. Um, you know, Paul is Timothy's mentor. He's, he's telling him, all right, as you go out, these are the kinds of things you need to be doing. And so he's just talked about, as Timothy's working with churches and appointing elders, and now he's talking with Timothy about Apparently, there are deacons in the church. And again, this is sort of a reference here. It doesn't say, we need to create an office of deacon, and it looks like this, and it has these qualifications. What he's saying here is, the same way there are deacons in the church, there are people who are called to serve, and they are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold of the deep trusts of the faith, truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and household well, and those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance of their faith in Jesus Christ. So what you have here in this passage is Paul giving Timothy instructions, saying these are the kind of people that as you're working with churches that need to become deacons or that deacons need to be. These are the kinds of qualities they have as they become special servants who serve the church. Again, it's, it's not so much an instruction that you go out and, and create these or you appoint these or it looks just like this. It looked differently in different congregations, and they already existed. But what he's saying is, these are the kind of people that you need to be calling, especially to serve in your local churches. Okay? Now, I also want to spend a little bit of time in Acts chapter 6. There depends on kind of your historic view of this. Uh, in the traditional Christendom, this is generally considered the establishing of, of the first deacons. Um, the title deacon is not used here, but the verb form of the word diakonos is used here to describe what these people are called to do. So this is the one example we have in Scripture anywhere of actually establishing a group of special servants for a special purpose and how they did it. This is the early church in Acts. And again, a little bit of historical context. Most of you have that from your own spiritual information and history that you've had. But a little context is when the church first formed, it was in Jerusalem. And for a bit of time, the church just grew there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was full of people who had traveled from around the world who eventually would scatter and go back to their own places and take the church with them. 
But at this point in time, the church was just growing. It was a new organism, and it was experiencing some of the kinds of issues that any kind of a new organism or organization faces. So in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, or the, the ones who were from a, a, a Greek background rather than a Hebraic background, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of word, of the word of God in order to diakonos tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. Just a little, uh, not necessarily isolated, but just a little incident within the, the life of a new growing church. And it just kind of describes what they did and why they did it and how they went about it. But I think it's important as we're talking about the qualities we're looking for and, and kind of the responsibilities to note a couple of things here. One, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Don't necessarily just pick somebody because they're available or because they're good at at organizing or they're good at doing work. Choose from among you men that are full of wisdom and the Spirit. And then we'll give this responsibility to them. And say, and then we'll tell them how to go about doing what they're going to do. They just said, we'll turn this over to them. And they did. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know that it has a whole lot of meaning in our context here today that the seven people that they chose all happened to be Greek names. In other words, they had a problem of, I don't know if you'd describe it as a racial problem necessarily, but there was a, a problem of differences from within the cultures. And as they came to them, they said, you know, take care of this. Choose men that are full of the spirit and wisdom and deal with it and go forward with it. And as they did that then, the church continued to grow. So, that's not an exhaustive listing or description of, of all the occasions in scripture where that word diakonos is used, but that's, that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, that's where it primarily is. So, as we're talking about what we have in mind in, in appointing deacons and reactivating deacons who exist and, and, and revitalizing this idea. Keep in mind a couple of things. One, there, there's not a clear description anywhere of what that role 
is other than to serve as needed, to serve in a in this case, in a specific capacity because there was a specific problem to be addressed. Keep in mind that as Paul instructed Timothy, he was saying these are the kinds of people that you need to be selecting. But also recognize that there were already people serving in this role in the churches around the world. Paul wasn't inventing it and saying this is how it's going to be. He was saying as you do this, these are the things you need to be thinking about and considering. Okay? So as, as we're moving forward here, we've given quite a bit of thought in terms of why are we even looking at having deacons? You know, Give you a little history here. At, at a point in time, we, we kind of moved from deacons to ministry leaders and, and, and changed the terminology we were using internally as a church. That was driven largely by the, uh, the model in Acts, chapter 6, where the ministry was specific to a need. And so we had people serving in ministries. We still have ministries here. We still have areas of service. And we still have need for people to, to both lead those, but more importantly, to do the work of those. And so as, as, as we're looking at this, being called to become a deacon isn't necessarily being called to be in charge of anything. It's called to work and serve in an area of ministry. And so you'll hear a little bit later, but essentially we're, we're going to ask folks to, to show up, to serve, to shepherd. Uh, go to this next slide if you don't mind, Jake. Oh, I'm out of time. I, I could ask you what this means to you. And for some of you, it would make some sense immediately. Some of you will think about it and say, oh yeah, I think I recognize. Some of you have no clue. What's these circles up here? Is it a target or is it, what is it? What do the numbers represent? This is a representation of how Jesus worked with his followers. He had an inner circle. He took Peter, James, and John with him up onto the mountain. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He had a special close relationship with those. He had 12 apostles that he called to follow him, that, that lived with him and worked with him and, and trained with him. We see in, in uh, Luke chapter 10, there were 70 and 72 two different occasions where he sent groups out two by two, larger groups, and then he had a larger following. And in assessing how we've worked as, as elders, our own self-assessment tells us we haven't been especially effective in what we feel like is our, our primary purpose of, of shepherding the body. Uh, it, it's been a focus that's 
at times gotten more attention than others and more focus and more activity and, and some of the individuals are better at it than others and overall we're not satisfied with how well we've done that. So one of the needs that we see in, in addition to just any specific ministry needs is the need for assistance in doing that. And so we, we want to kind of adopt this model that Jesus used. And, and we'll, again, talk more about this probably in class next week because we're out of time here. But what we're looking at is, is essentially not necessarily three to one, but taking this same concept of having a small group that serves a larger group, that serves the entire group, as together we follow and try to become transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so when we, we say we want people to show up, it, it's hard to serve and it's hard to shepherd without being present. Being present partly means being here when, when the, the body assembles together. Being present also means being present in people's lives. So showing up is part of that. All of us are called to serve. That's what Jesus called his apostles to do. That's what he demonstrated for them. That's what he wants us to do. And in doing that, we want to take care of the flock as a whole in a more effective and more efficient way than what we've been able to do historically. And so as we moving forward here in the next couple of weeks, keep those things in mind because that's, that's what we're going to be asking people to do specifically. Um, I've gone over time. You probably have some questions that we're not going to have time this morning to address, but let those percolate a little bit because next week, Mike's going to be on the stage and he gets to answer. Uh, but but we've, we've built in time next week to have some of those conversations, answer some of the questions that come up. Some of it will have to do with whys. Some of it will have to do with how. I understand that. Uh, hopefully I've answered for you the why. Um, and, and the why is an important thing to keep in mind as we go forward. We may have some differences of opinion on, on the how and, and the what and how it looks, but understand why, and we'll talk more about how over the next week or two. And uh, as we kind of end this time, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are indeed God and we are not. That you know, that you love, that you sustain, and that you act in spite of us. And we pray that we have the, the wisdom and the courage to follow you wherever that leads. And that we have the will to serve, to serve you by serving others, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you through our service. We pray in Jesus' name.